First Chronicles 17, 1. When David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day, but I've gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be a prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you've gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And he says to David, I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I'm going to take us through the rest of that chapter, but that's all I'm going to start reading. And let me preface the actual preaching of the verses with this. I hope that we, at this point in our life, still have something stirring inside of us. Even if we don't know what it would look like, I hope we're still stirred inside of us in a way that says, I would still like my life to to amount for something greater for God. I don't ever want to settle on my best previous victory. I don't ever want to be satisfied with the biggest breakthrough I've had up to this point. I don't ever want to kick back and say, yeah, I think I think it's good enough. I think, you know, I've crested, I've peaked. That's, that's probably, I can coast to the finish line now. I don't ever want to do that. And I hope that as you're following Jesus, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been in the faith, or maybe you're brand new to the faith, I hope that in your heart, there's still something inside of you that both wants to be more for the Lord and or do more for the Lord. I hope that you haven't lost it. Now, at the same time, I want to recognize, even if the desire is there, sometimes the specifics aren't there. Like, yeah, Jeff, I live with that every day. Why ain't he letting me be something more, do something more? I get that. I've I've been in seasons like that. But that's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is this. Do you still have the drive? Do you still have the desire? You see, King David, up to this point in his story, and we've been covering his story for weeks and weeks and weeks, King David is now uh, a man. His story started when he was a boy, and he's had to fight for everything he's ever stepped into. 
He's warred. He's humbled himself. He's done everything right before the Lord. Then other seasons he wavered and, and, and did some things that were in the flesh. And then at other times he, he would cry out in confidence that my God is great. And then other times he'd cry out and he'd say, where are you? Why aren't you talking? What are you doing? David is the guy in the Old Testament the most that I identify with because he's so raw. He's so real. And here he is. And when we left off last time, it feels like a year ago, but when we left off last time, do you remember this king of Tyre? It's a pagan group of people, and the king's name was Hiram. And David had just been fully embraced as the new king over the unified Israel, and King Tyre, excuse me, Hiram of Tyre built David a palace. He sent the wood, he sent the workers, he sent all the materials. He said, I want to get this new king on my good side. I'm going to build him a palace. So here's David. He's in the prime of his life. His enemies have been subdued. Saul is long gone. He's dead. David's kingdom is unified. It's becoming very glorious, very wealthy, very powerful. The favor of God is on it. David is in this amazing season in life. And the story begins with David saying, I got to do something for this God who's been so good to me. And when just that alone instructs my soul, that instructs me that no matter where I am in life, no matter how much God may have blessed me, there is always a need within my redeemed soul. I always want to keep the embers burning that says, God, my life is still not yet enough in response to how gloriously good you've been to me. And I don't want to live that out by guilt. I don't want to do it like a slave. I want to do it like a son. I don't want to do it like a, oh no, I better do something good for God because he's so good and I'm such a worm. I don't want to live like that. But at the same time, I do want to say, oh, but you are so ridiculously immeasurably good. I need my life to be greater for your glory. And so that's where David is. And so that's the backdrop of what we're going to talk about. It opens up with what I call a heartfelt desire. This is David's heartfelt desire in the first couple of verses. And I want to tell you, this desire to build God a house is an honorable desire. Look at verse 1. It says, when David lived in his house, remember, it's his new house, it's his palace. When David lived in his house, David says to Nathan the prophet, Nathan, brother Nate, I'm living in this cedar-paneled house, but the Ark of the Covenant is down there under a tent. David's looking at the blessing on his life. He didn't pay for the house he was living in. He didn't build the house he was living in. He didn't even ask for the house he was living in. But he's waking up every day blessed, anointed, favored, and elevated. And as a worshiper, it dawns on him one day that the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of the Lord dwelt, is down there under what was probably a decent tent, but it's still a tent. David's looking at his house and then looking at the tent. David's looking at the marble and then looking at the gopher skin. David's looking at the cedar panels and then looking at the, the, the dirty bronze and the brass and the, beginning, the fabric beginning to wear out. And in the middle of it is the Ark of the Covenant that holds the presence of God for Israel and represents that to everybody. And David says... I've got a better house than God. That's what he's feeling. And so this desire in him is so much that he's got to get a word from the Lord. So what does he do? 
he calls the prophet. This is the first time Nathan's ever mentioned in, in the story in the life of David. He calls Nathan the prophet. And he says, Nate, or prophet Nate, he says, I'm living in this awesome place that somebody built for me. And it, it's stirring in me, Nathan, that I want to build something for God. Now listen, that's going to get my vote. That's going to probably get your vote. I'm not going to look at King David and say, David, that sounds so carnal. David, that sounds like a terrible idea. David, what in the world do you think? It makes absolute sense, and it makes spiritual sense, and it was an honorable desire. So much so, in verse number two, the prophet says, let me chime in on this. Nathan said to David, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. So it wasn't only an honorable desire to build God a house or a temple, but it was an applauded desire, and it came from the religious spokesman of the hour. Um, let me tell you what we don't read. We don't read, and David got on his face before the Lord and asked the Lord, may I build you a house? We don't read that. Nor do we read, and the prophet of God, when he heard David's story, said, let me talk to the Lord about it and come back with an answer to you. What we've got is two men, men that love the Lord, men with an honorable desire. Nathan, you know, Nathan probably is, he's, he's, he's the, first, this is the first time we hear about him. He's maybe a new prophet, maybe even a younger prophet. And he, he doesn't want to shot block this gloriously good idea from the king, but he doesn't even pray about it. Neither one of them sought the Lord. And so David's got this honorable desire, and then he's got the word of the Lord, supposedly, from the prophet. And the prophet says, the Lord is with you. Do everything that's in your heart to do. So right now, if I'm David, I'm feeling like, man, I, I'm in it. I'm in the vein. I'm, in, I'm hearing the Lord. I've got this idea. It's going to be good. He's worthy. He's glorious. He's good. This is noble. We've got the resources. I'm doing it in gratitude. The prophets just said, yes, it's a good idea. Awesome. I cannot wait to find the architects. We're going to draw this bad boy up. This is going to be an amazing temple. Here's the problem. Nobody's talking to God about it. Let me give you the verse that we know by heart, but let's just read it slowly from Proverbs. It'll be up on the screen. And, and let's just recognize that although David's son, Solomon, wrote the, this verse, it, it was still a kingdom principle. And it says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. I'm using the King James. I love it in the King James. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So just leave it up on the screen there for a second, if you don't mind. Trust in God with all of your heart. I actually think David was doing that. I, think, I don't think David has a trust issue here with the Lord at this point. I think he has the pro his problem is the next part. He's leaning onto his own understanding. He's doing what is reasonable, what makes sense, what seems honorable, what seems right, what may even feel righteous. And he's also failing to acknowledge God in all of his ways. And he is not seeking the Lord to direct his paths. So here's where we start making a notation, a mental note, between the uh, with the difference between a good idea and God's idea. Has anybody besides me ever gotten in trouble by committing to a good idea, feeling it was God's idea, only to find out that was never God's idea? 
Yeah, that's most of us in here. And hallelujah, you know, he's not up there still mad about it, okay? Just exhale, there's, there's no condemnation. But I can tell, I, I, I'm not going to tell you, but I could tell you many, many things I've done in life as a Christian, as a single man, and then as a married man, then as a dad, as a pastor, as a brother, as a friend in ministry and life with finances and, and business opportunities. There have been many times where I got this great idea, wanted to glorify the Lord with it, and just said, we're going to do this bad boy for Jesus and I did, I, I might have thrown up one of those token prayers that it, this is the way the Lord hears it. We never say it this way, but this is how the Lord hears it. Lord, this is what I'm going to do. Thank you. Uh, I'm presuming you're going to bless it. Thank you. Amen. That's how he hears it. We never say it that way. We say, Lord, I'm going to offer you this great thing because you're awesome, you're glorious, you're good, and this is going to be just so beautiful. It's going to bring you great glory. Thank you. Amen. And we lean to our own understanding. And we don't acknowledge him in all of our ways. Um, I'm not a legalist, and I don't ever want to be one again. I used to be one. I got saved out of that stuff. But I also don't want to be the guy that's so casual with the Lord that when I read, acknowledge him in all of your ways, Jeff, that I just blow past that and say that's not really what that means. It literally means that our lifestyle as believers is to be of such that we are listening for him in everything that we can. We're recognizing that he's the Lord of all. And that's not just awesome stuff to sing, that he's literally the Lord of all. And so we want to acknowledge him when we're making decisions. We want to acknowledge him. We want to seek him. We want to recognize his lordship in all of these ventures. And what David was doing, everybody in this room probably, or at least most of us, I would have, I would have said like, amen, David's got a word from the Lord. And Nathan just gave the move in the second. We're going to vote on it. It's a done deal. Let's build a temple. And, and we're about to find out that God was going to say no. God didn't want a house. And so I have to slow down here because I don't, I don't have anything within me that wants to, to build a house, a physical temple for the Lord. But these are principles that I've got to learn because um, our years are numbered. And we're making decisions and we're making commitments and the clock is ticking and everybody in here, none of us want to make bad decisions that reflect poorly on the Lord or cause us to get off of the path that he's desired for us. See, David's desire was, it was sensible, but it wasn't spiritual. It made sense, but it wasn't the will of the Lord. So Here's, let me give you four quick things. Um, you can write these down. They're, they won't be on the screen. But let me say that I think here's four tests to see whether good intentions are God's intentions. Here's four tests to see whether our good intentions may or may not be God's intentions. First of all, our good intentions must be submitted to God's overall will for our lives. In other words, we have to know enough about God's will as revealed in Scripture because that never changes. That's why we must know the Word of God because in the Word of God, we see the works of God, the ways of God, the will of God through the words of God. And so our good intentions have to be submitted to the overall will of God. 
So there's some things I'll never pray about because they are not in line with the overall will of God. I don't care how good it sounds. I can look at certain things and say that's not the will of the Lord because it's, it's not consistent with what he reveals in his word. Here's the second test. When possible, God's, or excuse me, good intentions should be based on God's clear directions. So when, when we're making decisions or we're about to enter into something, and, and the higher the cost or the higher the liability or the greater the risk, as much as is possible, our good intentions need to be based on God's clear directions. What do I mean by that? God, I mean, David didn't even ask God. He didn't even ask him. It was a good idea, but he did not even ask God. David was about to spend multiple, and he ends up gathering all of the materials and wealth that was needed for Solomon to build the temple, and it was astronomically expensive. It was massive amounts of money, like tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars by today's standards. And David never asked God if God wanted that to happen. And so when we're talking about moving in a direction, committing ourselves to something, engaging or saying, this is something I want to do as unto the Lord. It could be relationships. It could be a lot of different things. It could be business endeavors. It could be ministry. It could be time commitments. It could be a thousand different things. But what we want to do is we want to say, Lord, I really want, if it's possible, I want clarity from you before I, 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 I put my hand to the plow, because once I put my hand to the plow, I can't go back. Now, having said that, I will say that when, God's, when you're in a faith-stretching season, sometimes God gets you in that place where he says, I'm going to give you a little clarity, but I'm actually going to give you, I'm going to give you more courage than clarity. And so we get in this place where, oh, if I, if I don't have clarity, am I making a mistake by moving? Well, sometimes you are, and sometimes you're not. Say, so, well, thank you for helping us tonight, Jeff. That, that's really beneficial. Well, here's the thing. That's why it's so important that we don't lean to our own understanding, that we do seek the Lord, that we do acknowledge him in all of our ways. And the Bible is very clear. He will direct your paths. And so we're not out there. It's not like God's saying, I've got answers, but I'm never going to tell you. Figure it out. Hope you get it right. That's not our God. That's a mischaracterization of the nature of God. That's a God who treats, that, that, that would be torment. But when we need to know, we press in. And at some point, God will give you what you need to know to make a yes decision or a no decision. The third test is this. Good intentions must center themselves in God's interest and not our own. What do I mean by that? I'm not saying if it blesses you, it's bad. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is this. Is, is your motivation that in the end, God gets the glory? That is the key test. For me, motivation determines almost everything. There have been times in our lives as believers where opportunities have opened up to us that we know would have a practical benefit. But all of us have probably been in moments where we said, I know I could walk through this door, but if I walk through this door, I'm concerned that the glory is either going to go to another person or to me, but not to God. And you're maturing in your faith when you start thinking like that. You're maturing in your faith where it's not so much, can I get results, but you're going a step beyond that. You're saying, yeah, I can get results, but who's going to get the glory for those results? And so we literally, we have to get to the point where we say, okay, one of the tests is, what is my motivation? Is this centered in God's interest, or is this going to end up being all about me? 
And so David, we don't know. I think David's intentions here were probably sincere. I just think he failed to ask the Lord. And then ultimately this fourth test is to remember good intentions do not replace God's will even when supported by other godly people. Nathan. I mean, when, when you got a Nathan at your right hand and Nathan's supposed to be the voice of the Lord in your life, and Nathan's like, yeah, yeah, man, this is the Lord. We're not going to be able to, to say when we stand before the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry I wasted 10 years, but Nathan, get over here. Nathan, get up. Stand. Do you remember what hit, Lord, just talk to Nathan about that. That was Nathan's deal. Not my. Sometimes godly people will, will make mistakes. And so that's why we're not to allow to, to live vicariously through somebody else's faith. I, I've got people in my life that when they speak, they have my ear. I'm going to listen to them because I see wisdom on their life. I see anointing on their life. Um, I, I see the touch of God on their life. But let me tell you, you and I don't have a single person in our life that is in, infallible. There's only been one perfect human, and that was the Son of Man. Everybody else has gotten it wrong, does occasionally get it wrong, and will get it wrong. And if we just listen only to them instead of waiting on the voice of the Holy Spirit, then sometimes we're making that person's voice the voice of God instead of the voice of God itself. So those four tests are something to think about. So let's see how David responds to what's coming because this, this heartfelt desire immediately becomes in verses 3 through 6 a heartbreaking denial. And David didn't even get 24 hours to enjoy the, the thumbs up from Nathan. So look in verse number three, it, it, literally. So Nathan tells David, do, do it all. Whatever's in your heart, God's in this thing. That's literally what he told David. David's got to be feeling awesome about that. So Nathan goes home to have his before bed quiet time. And verse three, it says, that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. How convenient. Somebody's hearing from the Lord now. Um, I've, been, I've been Nathan, I, I've been the guy who gave the affirming word to the good idea that somebody else had, walked away from that meeting, and before I can get my pajamas on, I hear the Lord saying, what did you just do? What, what was that? Jeff, why did you say that? Jeff, you're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to go back tomorrow and tell him you missed it. So he gets home that night. Nathan's probably feeling pretty juiced. He's like, wow, a temple's going to replace the tent. Me and the king, we came up with this awesome idea we're going to be doing for God. Maybe I'll even get my name on like the cornerstone of the building or something. Nathan the prophet, thus saith Nathan the prophet. And Nathan gets home and, and God, it's almost like God clears his throat. <clears throat> Nathan, could we talk a moment and look in verses four through six because it was not only immediate, an immediate denial, it says the same night. So I'm not making it up, I'm not exaggerating. It was that night. And here it is. <laughs> Nathan. Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. It is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. I've gone from tent to tent, from dwelling to dwelling. Can I pause here and then amplify? God's saying, yeah, I've never done temples. I've never brought up the idea of a temple. 
I, I do tents. I do dwellings. I move. When I move, y'all move. That's what the Lord is saying. He says in verse 6, And all the places where I've moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? I love this because God is saying no, but he's being kind. He's, he's literally re reasoning with the prophet. I, I do want to make a note of something. It's very interesting that God still honored the office of the prophet, even though the prophet got it wrong. He, he still went through Nathan to go to David. God didn't go, David, you missed it and the prophet missed it. God said, Nathan, you're still my man. You're still my prophet. You're still going to give the word, but you're going to humble yourself. You gave a wrong word. Very carefully here, um, for those of you that are new, I was uh, spiritually raised in the Baptist uh, denomination. And one of the primary arguments that as a Baptist I made against the gift of prophecy and against the office of a prophet, because I didn't believe in either one of those things, I was trained not to, was that nobody in the Old Testament, if a prophet got it wrong, they were stoned outside the city gates and you crazy charismatics, y'all, you prophets are missing all the time and y'all never, y'all never hold them accountable. You know, I was a, you know, I was, I was kind of a punk when I said stuff like that, but that's, that's literally the way I felt. Well, here's a case of God's prophet getting it wrong and God immediately correcting that prophet and not taking him outside the city gates and having him stoned by the elders of Israel, but simply saying to the prophet, you're going to make the wrong word right. You're going to humble yourself. And so here he comes that night and God says to him, he says, I've never asked for a house of cedar. One might stand to reason that the God of all glory who is enthroned above the heavens, who created every cedar tree that ever was, is not impressed by a palace made of cedar. He sits on the throne of heaven, atop the cosmos, in the most immeasurable, undefinable atmosphere of glory. And David and Nathan are down there saying, oh, we're going to make him a house of cedar. And, 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 and think about that. It's like, you know, for those of you that have raised kids, our, you know, I, I love it. I, I, we've got a drawer full of the stuff our kids made. You know, Landon's almost 15 and, and Alicia's almost 20. And, and we've still got some stuff they made in like kindergarten. And when they brought it home, you didn't look at that and say, that's trash. That's terrible. We're, you're never going to be an artist. What is this? That dude's head's not even connected to his neck, which is not connected to his body. Is that a dog or is that an elephant? What, 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 what do we got here? You don't do that. But, but you recognize, and why? Why don't you do it? Because it's, it's, it's your little kid doing the best that they can to do something to make you happy. So you're not upset that they're not famous artists or skilled. You, you, you think it's cute and you think it's sweet. And you love the fact that they brought it to you. So what do you do if you're a good parent? You celebrate it in some way. You don't, you don't just look at him and say, that's terrible. Come back when you're like Picasso. You don't, you don't. Actually, Picasso's stuff was kind of weird looking. But for sake of argument, I think David and Nathan wanting to build the temple for God is the equivalent of our little kids handing us the construction paper with the guy with the disjointed head and the, the girl with, you know, five feet and stuff like that. And, and God appreciated it, but he didn't need it. And they're thinking, this is a masterpiece. And God's like, I actually dwell in a glory that you can't imagine. I love you, but I don't want David, I don't want you to build me 
a palace for me. I've never asked for one, and David, you're not going to be the guy to do it. So here comes the no. I mean, the no hits the prophet first. Let me give you something, because this is essential. Redirection does not equal rejection. Hear that. Especially those of us that are a little sensitive. Redirection from God, or from really a person, is not necessarily rejection. Redirection from God is never rejection from God. If you're his child, you're his child. But he doesn't have to say yes to everything we bring before him. He reserves the right to redirect. And we've got to come to the place where when God gives a redirection, we don't feel the weight of rejection. So he's saying to Nathan, who's going to say to David, no. And, and let me give you some big boy, big girl, some, some, something to kind of get into your, your spiritual DNA, your bloodline. God is the authority in our life. And he has the perfect right to deny us something that we desire. That's so unpopular teaching in our gimme generation. But listen, he's God. And when he denies me something that I want, do you know why he's denying it? Because he's wise and loving. He's, He's not doing it because he knows it's good for me and he doesn't want me to have it. I think it's good for me and I'm blown away that he doesn't want me to have it. But when he says no, it's because he's wise and he's loving. And what we've got to do is we've actually got to acclimate our thinking and our emotions and our spirit. We've got to acclimate with with that. Our our fleshly impulse is to, to be hurt, wounded, offended, or bitter when he says no to something that we really want an affirmation on. We've got to we've got to recognize, oh no, wait, wait, wait. He is the wise one. He knows everything. We're wanting this thing because we're living in the microcosm of a moment. We, we feel the desire in the moment. We see like from here to here on it. And God's, when, when God looks at it, he actually takes down all boundaries. He sees all things. And he's saying this thing that you see from here to here in that you really want is actually not going to be beneficial for everything that I've ordained for your life. And so sometimes he says no. How do you react when God says no to you? Um, don't answer me. That's a rhetorical question, but, but it, is, it is one I want you to think through. Um, I, I'll give you these four things very quickly. Here's four potential responses to when God says no to us. First one is rebellion. I don't care what God says. I want this from me. You're in trouble. I'm just going to tell you. If that's your response, you're in trouble. I love you. God loves you. But when he says no and you say, yeah, I don't really care. I want this. You're in trouble. It's not going to go well for you. You might even get the thing you want for, uh, that you're longing for, but it's just not going to end well. So don't go there. Don't, don't receive the no with a spirit of rebellion. The second one is more common because we're Christians. We know we're not allowed to rebel, but we do self-deceive. This is the second one. Well, it, it may not be God's perfect will for me, but I can make this thing happen on my own. I, I, I got this. As a matter of fact, Lord, I'm not even sure if you said no. I'm thinking maybe, maybe you might have said no, but how about we don't talk about it anymore and I just do it? Y'all, some of y'all are out there pretending you've never done that. You're like, well, I'd never do such a thing. You, you mean to tell me you have never said, I'm not sure this is God's will or not, but I really like this. And maybe if it turns out it's not God's will, well, he's good and he'll clean up my mess for me. 
right? Yeah. I know you're getting me. You're feeling me. There's two of us in the room. The rest of y'all need to unclench, okay? The The third response when God says no can be resentment. And we start saying, God, God must not really care about me because if he did, he wouldn't keep this thing from me. Man, that's a tough one. That, that, that's, that's a tough one to battle through. And a lot of people have walked away from the faith and walked away from the church and walked away from the Lord because God said no to something and um, they, got, they got resentful about it. And the fourth one is the one that we all need to just keep pressing into and grow in this. The fourth thing is submission. When we, when we submit to his no, and this, this is how we do it. It's not the, you know, clenching your fist and grinding your teeth and just saying, well, hallelujah, he's good. <laughs> not allowed to be upset with him. You're good. Amen, hallelujah. I'll sing, I'll preach, I'll show up, I'll tithe, I'll do all that stuff. Well, she would have said yes, but it's not that kind of submission. It's a submission that says, he told me no because he's wise and he loves me, and he sees things I don't see. So, Lord, I don't get it. I'm not even sure I like it right now, but I trust you. I trust you. When God says no, ultimately, it's a test of our trusting his character and his heart. So, let's get into where Nathan and David start hashing this out, because David's response is mind-blowing. I heard Dustin went to like nine o'clock a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to do it to you. But I love it when somebody else does it to you because it makes me look like I, you know, Jeff breezed through that thing. So thank you, Dustin. Let's look at the heart lifting determination because this is where God says, David, I'm going to tell you no, but I'm going to tell you what I am determined to do for you. And man, this is so good. So watch this. So in spite of God saying no, God was determined to bless David. He was determined that he was going to bless David. And he's about to express this to David. And he's about to lift, heart lift David. He's going to lift up David's heart. So in verse 7 and 8, God starts talking to David. And he's now talking through Nathan the prophet. He says, this is what I want you to say to my servant David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, David, it's me talking. I'm your God. I took you from the pasture. David, I saw you when you were in the youth group, and I took you from the pasture from following the sheep. That was the lowest job in the family. And I've made you the prince over my people Israel. David, I took you from the lowest position in the family, the forgotten son of Jesse, and I've made you the king over everyone in Israel. And I've been with you, verse 8, wherever you've gone, I've cut off all of your enemies from before you. And David, I'm going to make your name like the name of the great ones of the earth. So David just got told, no, your idea is not going to happen. Your good idea, your reasonable idea, your sincere idea, David, I'm God, and I'm telling you, I'm not going to let you do that. So I am, I am saying no to your idea. I'm redirecting you, but I'm not rejecting you, but I'm redirecting you. And David, as I do that, I want to take you on a little bit of a historical journey. And this is, in essence, what God is saying to David. David, I never want you to forget how much I love you. And David, don't ever lose track of how faithful I've been to you. 
David, your own daddy forgot you. Jesse, remember when Samuel came to anoint the king? And Jesse, David's dad, so devalued David, he didn't even bring David to, to the meeting. Samuel said, bring all of your sons. One of them is going to be the future king. So Jesse gets all of his sons except David. The runt of the litter leaves him down there with the sheep. And Samuel goes through all the boys of Jesse, and he says, none of these sons are the king. Is this all your sons? And, and Jesse's like, oh, oh, no, not really. I've got David. And Samuel said, go get him. Called up David, a little teenager. And God says, that's the king. God took him from the lowest, forgotten, most, his own father rejected him. And God said, David, I found you there. I saw you when your own daddy didn't. And he brings him and he says, I've been with you. And David, when Saul hunted you like a dog, Saul's dead, you're in the palace. David, when all of the enemies of the Philistines came against you, they're dead, you're alive. When Goliath was shouting and intimidating every other soldier in Israel, David, I'm the one who walked you out to the middle of the valley and aimed that stone that you slung by faith and put it right between his eyes. David, I've never failed you. I've never let you go. Why is that important? Because God's saying to David, David, I've, I've promoted you and I've preserved you. And friends, when God tells you no, even, even when it hurts, even when it's something we really, really want. If you'll listen, the Holy Spirit will draw you back and start telling you, remember everything he's ever done for you. Look hard in your history and find those moments where God gave breakthrough. And, and, and remember, that's his commitment to you. His, his primary position towards you is not like a lot of earthly fathers. A lot of earthly fathers, everything about them said no. Their face, their words, their tone, their absence, their abuse, everything about a lot of earthly fathers was just one big constant, no, you're not worth it. And, and sometimes when we get hit with a no, where God doesn't give us that thing we want, we can, we can start perceiving him like those fallen earthly fathers, and all of a sudden our heavenly father becomes this great cosmic no and, and that's not him and so what he does is he walks us back and even if even if the only thing he ever did was pardon you and forgive you and save you friends is that not sufficient for us to trust him and so God is saying, I'm saying no to one thing, but look at what he does. In verses 9 through 15, we didn't read a lot of these verses. God says, moreover, on top of what I've already done, David, I declare that the Lord will build you a house. He flipped it. He flipped it. David, you're wanting to build something glorious for me. No. I love you, son, but nah, -uh. you're not going to do it. But David, let me let you in on something. Before you go curl up in a corner and suck your thumb and pout, David, hold on a second. I'm going to build your household. And he wasn't simply talking about, you know, a new palace. He's saying, David, 
I'm going to mark your lineage. I'm going to, this is the beginning of the Davidic covenant that starts getting unfolded that ultimately, and we don't have time to go into it tonight, but ultimately this prophetic word coming through Nathan from God is indicating David from your family bloodline is going to come a king who will rule over Israel forever and ever and ever and ever. And of course that king is King Jesus. In the process of all that though, it's not just this kingdom promise way out there somewhere culminating with Jesus. In verses 9 through 15, and you can read these later, but this is what God says, David, here's what I'm going to do for you right now. In verse 10, he says, I will continue to subdue all of your enemies. He also says in verse 10, I will build thee a house. In other words, you're going to have lots of sons. You're going to have lineage. You're going to have glory. That was the glory of men back in that day. It was to have a lot of sons, a lot of children, a lot of descendants. He says, David, I'm going to do that for you. In verse 11, he says, I'm going to raise up your seed after you, meaning you're going to have one of your physical sons. He's referring to Solomon. I'm bringing Solomon up behind you. And in verse 11, he says, I'm going to establish the kingdom of your son. In verse 12, he says, he gives the messianic prophecy. He says, I will establish his throne forever. So it's two ways he's looking at it. He's speaking in the right now about Solomon, but he's also speaking prophetically about Jesus being on the throne forever and ever. But when he starts talking about Solomon, he is giving David hope. And what we find out later, and and it's not here in this message tonight, But God tells David, David, he doesn't tell him here, but he tells him later on in life, the reason why I said no is because I raised you up to be a warrior. David, you're a man of bloodshed. And it wasn't a condemnation. David was raised up as a warrior to subdue all of the enemies of Israel. He shed a lot of blood. And God would tell David later on, not in the moment of the no, not in the moment of the denial, but wisdom came later. And through David's own mouth, we find out that he told Solomon, he said, Solomon, God wouldn't let me do it because I had blood on my hands from war. That's why Solomon, he chose you to do it. Because Solomon never had to fight a war. Solomon wasn't a warrior king. Solomon was the glory king. He inherited from what all the battles of his father David brought to Israel. And Solomon walked in glory and for the most part walked in peace. And so Solomon got to build the house. But let's get back to David. Because here's the question. God has said no to David's dream. God has said, I'm saying no to that. But I'm saying yes to this, 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 I'm saying yes to this. When I read that, go back and read those verses, verses 10 through 20 later, and just read how God's saying, David, it's almost like the Lord's saying, I want you to look me right in the eyes. I'm saying no to your idea, but I'm saying yes to all of this stuff that you never knew I wanted to do for you. So David, you can either focus on what is taken from you or you can focus on what I'm going to give you. And that is the test for every one of us when God says no. It's the test for me. It's the test for you. The test is, will we let our attitude and our understanding of God be primarily characterized by what he said no to? Or will we, recognizing his love and his wisdom, Say, that no that you, that you allowed in my life, that no hurt. But God, the hurt from the no was taken away from the blessing of all the things you said yes to in my life. You know what we call that? Faith. 
That's what faith is. Faith is acknowledging the thing that hurts, but not allowing it to rule you. And faith is also saying, the thing that was denied me does not define me. We speak to every person in this room that has experienced abandonment. Whether it was the abandonment of a parent, the abandonment of a child, the abandonment of a spouse, and that crushing, that soul-crushing experience. I, I write my first two, I'm not plugging my book on purpose, but the first two chapters of my book are about how that impacted me as a child when my mom left us. My dad left us, came back. When he came back, my mom left us, never came back. And I allowed that abandonment to so sour me against God and people for, until I was 24 years old. Because I refused to look at all of the yeses that God had put in my life, and I let that one thing. For all of you that have been abandoned and have experienced that level of rejection, I'm not telling you that it doesn't hurt. I'm not telling you that real Christians don't feel pain. I'm not saying that you should be ashamed of yourself for feeling and weeping and hurting and longing. I'm not saying any of that because we're human. But what I am saying is this, in the name of Jesus... You must not allow that to define who you are. You can't. You have to fight to press through that thorn patch. Come out on the other side and let the Father say, let me take that one out of you and that one out of you and that one out of you. And then he puts on that beautiful balm of Gilead and he begins to soothe the wounds. So let me give you David's response and we'll be done. I call this, I'm sorry, I'm really alliterating. I'm, I'm being super preachy in this message because it's just the way I feel about it. But it's this heartwarming doxology. This is all about the heart tonight. It's the heartfelt desire, the heartbreaking denial, the heartlifting determination, and we're going to finish with the heartwarming doxology. So David gets told no. Look in verse number 16. Humility. Look at his humility. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you've brought me thus far? Listen, just listen to it. No bitterness, no complaint. You know he's disappointed. But he's hearing the goodness of God more loudly than he's hearing the denial of God. And he goes into the Lord. Our flesh, when we get denied, when God says no, our flesh is to run away from the Lord, not David. David gets the no, and he says, I got to get closer to the Lord. I got to press in. And what's interesting is when it says he went in and sat before the Lord, chances are he went into the very tent that previously he had been wanting to replace. He goes into the place where the ark is, or at least in that area. And so he's going to the very place that the day before to David was insufficient and what he's learned is, oh, it's not the tent. It's the one who dwells therein. I want to press into him. I don't care if he's in a palace or he's in a tent. I don't care if he says yes to my idea or no to my idea. I don't really care about any of that. I'm recognizing it's him. I want him. And he says, and who am I, oh, Lord God, that you've spoken these words and brought me thus far? That, that humility is beautiful. Let's not lose that, okay? Don't lose your humility and your gratitude in the tough season. The gratitude comes next. Verse 17 and 18. He says, Lord, this was a small thing in your eyes. You've also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have shown me future generations, O Lord God. 
And what more can David say to you for honoring your servant, for you know your servant? Oh, man, I'm getting stirred just preaching that. He's saying, God, I was focusing on this like four-year project to build you a temple. You're focusing on my genealogy. You're focusing on my bloodline for generations. I'm thinking of this momentary thing I want to do, and you said no to it because you're thinking of this eternal thing you want to do through me. <laughs> and I love what he says at the end. He says, and you know me. When God denies me, I'm not going to put this on you, but you want, if you want to leap on this wagon, let's, I'm, I'm trying to move it towards the Lord. When God denies me, I got to remember, he knows me. When he says no to me, it's because what he's saying no to, he knows that that thing's not the best thing for me. Wow, well, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I think we need to talk this out because I know what I want. I really do think it's the best thing for me. And he's like, oh, you're so cute, Jeff. You, you, you think you know more than you. He's like, Jeff, hey, just listen. Just hush, 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 hush. Just be quiet. I know you better than you know you. Do you trust me? And there's something in our flesh that says, yeah, I, I know that's theologically true, but I still want to talk about this thing you're saying no to. And he's like, no, 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 hold on a second. I know you. I know what you're made of. I know who you are today. And I know who you're going to be in 10 years. And if I give you the thing that you want today, it's going to be bad for you in 10 years or maybe 10 days or maybe 10 minutes. And David has enough gratitude where he just got told no on his dream. And he's like, ah, oh, you're so good. You know me. You know me, Lord. That's gratitude. It's humility and gratitude. And then in verse 19, you see faith. He says, for your servant's sake, O Lord, and according to your own heart, this is faith, according to your own heart, you've done all this greatness in making known all these great things. So all of a sudden, David is no longer, he doesn't even mention the, the fact that he can't build the temple. He never talks about it. He's like, oh, for, for my sake, according to your own heart, you've done all of this great stuff and you're making me to know now you're telling me all this great stuff you're going to do for me. And so he's believing by faith that what God's plans are for him are greater than the thing God is denying him. Faith has to look at the thing God says no to and faith has to say, whatever that was, no matter how much I wanted it, it must have been inferior to what God wants because God has got other things for me. That is a kind of faith, friends. David trusted that God had his best interests at heart. And then the last verse is last 20. He ends it with praise. <laughs> There's nobody like you, O Lord. There's no God beside you. According to, excuse me, all that we have heard with our ears, the the end result is David comes down to this time, this two-day period, not even, probably 24 hours or less. And God's just said no. What did David want to do? David wanted to build a place for God. David leaves in verse 20, and God had built a place for himself. You know where he built it? Deeply in David's heart. Deeply in David's heart. 
there's no God like you, O Lord. There's no God beside you. Something shifted in David where David went from wanting to do something external for God to build an external physical place for God. And by the time God walked him through the, the time of God saying no, what David found is, oh, the great God that I wanted to build a place for him to stay is lodging in me. He's in me. Friends, I'm going to tell you this. He's going to deny you and I some things, you and me. He's going to deny us some things on the outside. And if we'll respond right, if we will respond in, in humility, gratitude, trust, and praise to the God who knows when to say yes and when to say no, if we will respond to him in those things and we'll surrender and we'll yield, he builds something within us that is so far superior to anything that he could have given us outside of us. And the things that he builds within you have eternal, lasting value. Anything we build for him on the outside, it's going to perish with the earth. The earth and the fullness thereof belongs to the Lord, but it also says the earth and all the works within it are going to be burned up one day. So let's go ahead and serve him, and let's go ahead and dream, and let's go ahead and thirst and desire and long to do something with our lives and to be something for him. But when we run into the reality that he's not going to make certain dreams that we have, certain desires that we have, that he's not going to put a stamp of approval on it, don't misinterpret redirection as rejection. Don't give in to that. Don't listen to the hiss of the serpent who tells you you can't trust God. He just, he just went and stomped your dream because if you'll listen, you'll hear the Lord saying, I said no to that because I plan on saying yes to this, to this, to this, and this. And we'll, we'll be like David. We'll be like, there is no God like you. You know me. You know who I am and I trust you. So Father, in the name of Jesus tonight, for every no that you have already said to us, we thank you for it. Through pain, through hurt, through confusion, we thank you for it because you know us. For every no that's coming down the road towards us, we trust you with it. There's no God like you. There's no God beside you. When you bring us into your presence and we stand there, we will never regret that you did what you wanted to do and told us no about the things that we wanted to do. We thank you for the wisdom when you say no. In Jesus' name, amen.